always been the sound of the banjo that, for me, even the worst banjo playing I've ever heard I loved. Uh I just like the tones. I like even good, bad banjos. doesn't matter. I just really like banjo. It's something, it's a part of my family and life. Greetings, everybody. Thank you for joining me. This is the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Billick. I hope all of you, or at least the the listeners that are here in the States, I hope you all had a a great 4th of July holiday. And more importantly than that, we need all our fingers for banjo picking. So I sincerely hope there were no M80 firecracker accidents involving any of you listeners. But I don't know. I'm pretty confident that I have some of the smartest listeners around. So I'm sure all of you practiced nothing but the the pinnacle of fireworks safety, if that's something that you're into. Otherwise, yeah, hope you enjoyed your holidays. Welcome to everybody who's joining us. Oh, and some other cool news. The podcast that you're listening to right now, the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, was just voted by far the best music-related podcast. Now, the, the, the details are that that voting was only conducted by one person, but that one person happens to be one of today's Patreon supporters of the episode. His name's Garth Bender down in Peninsula, Ohio. He goes to the Gar Hall, and anyone who has played a lot of bluegrass music around the upper Midwest has probably gone through the Gar Hall at some point. It's a pretty memorable spot. It has a lot of cool history to it, and it's a it's a nice area. So if you if you happen upon that venue, take a take a look out for Garth. But uh, he had some really kind words such as that to to say about the show. So. Garth, I really appreciate that. Uh, the other supporter, Patreon supporter of the show, is Jordan Covey. He's been a longtime listener, and he's a banjo picker down in Kentucky. So, Jordan and Garth, I really appreciate your support. If you would like to be a Patreon supporter and support the show, you should go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, and you'll find ways to make a small donation, but... You know, that's that's the crowdfunding thing. A lot of the small donations really help me out, and they do add up. So ban- uh, patreon.com slash banjo podcast is how you become an official sponsor of the show. The other ways to support the show is you can subscribe and rate on iTunes, five stars, of course. You can follow me on all the social media. I'm Picky Fingers on Facebook. I'm Picky underscore fingers on Instagram. I am at Banjo Podcast on Twitter. I don't usually give those out very often, and I probably should uh, a, a little more because, you know, that's that's where a lot of the action happens and where I make announcements about new episodes and such. So, yeah, follow me on all those things and, and feel free to share away as you see some some good episodes pop up. You can also contact me anytime at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com with any comments or suggestions or questions about the show it's always cool to be reminded that there are actual human listeners out there as you know, you, you wouldn't know it by seeing me in this empty room talking to seemingly no one. So it, it is a good reminder that there are actually people out there. So now introducing today's guest, he is a man named James McKinney and he's a real memorable kind of character. Any of you who have met him or have run into him along the way at some point, you, he's, he has a memorable banjo style, a memorable personality, and I don't even need to say too much about him because he does such a good job of telling all sorts of stories about his 
early career and learning and the and the types of players that influenced him he 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 has this really pretty wild like Don Reno on steroids kind of style about him which is is pretty impressive to behold I had a lot of fun talking to him and and listening to him retell all these stories about some of the the real classic figures in bluegrass and country music um one other note the beginning of this interview for for those of you who are less familiar with with james and his story he suffered a stroke not even about a year and a half ago and nearly died and but at any rate that that's that's some background information because the beginning of this interview picks up with with uh, me asking him about how he's doing with his recovery and and that's basically the background information that you need to know is that he he suffered a stroke some time ago and has had a lot of a lot of recovering to do but he seems to be doing really well and uh and you'll hear all about it so here he is james mckinney You're cool that you got up to do I, it. I'm coming back to life slowly, <laughs> slowly but surely. Get some, uh, get some water and fluids in me and stuff like that. But uh, no, it's all right. So, hey, first of all, I, I imagine what a lot of people might be curious about, and definitely what I'm curious about, is just how you're doing. Did you, did you feel like giving an update on? Sure, sure. I mean, you look great, and you're here playing, so that's like a really amazing sign, right? Yeah, it's really. I'm very lucky. And uh, first of all, I had I, stupidly. Never went to see a doctor. Hmm. So since I was seven years old, when I was seven, I got my tonsils taken out, uh-huh. and I've not been sick since. You haven't then. been to a doctor I since never you were went seven? To, yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. And, and I didn't have any pain or, or know anything, so evidently I had high blood pressure for many years yeah. that I did not realize. Okay. And um, I could not talk. And my, I would talk. The day that the day that happened, I was I was talking to my wife, and it, I would say things, but it didn't make it didn't even make sense at all. Whatever okay. I said, so it was because it had burst some blood vessels and stuff sure. in my brain. Yeah, and uh, so the doctor said that uh, less less than an hour longer, and there wouldn't be no no hope whatsoever of me. So I went to a great hospital, and I was there for a week. Uh-huh. And they got got the blood pressure down, and that was really they didn't even go in and cut or do anything. But I had about the size of a softball, a huge, big blood thing, the size of a softball in my brain. Wow! And so uh, I couldn't think of certain things; that things wouldn't work at all. There was no linkage. Well, what they've discovered recently, which is kind of cool as a musician to realize, is that when you have blood vessels that burst uh-huh. and you have blood. It shorts out the cells. The cells do not operate anymore. Yeah. But slowly, your body will absorb that hmm. if there's no damage. There's two types of it. Yeah. And how I, much damage I, you I'm have. I'm not but up anyway, enough on the, on the medical aspect. But, but, but that, anyway, yeah. it could take a couple of years for that blood vessel to slowly leak away. Yeah. And uh, they usually say it takes two to three years to be able to get back to 100%. So I went and saw the doctor after one month and they were blown away and after the third month the doctor said 
Uh, I never have said this ever to a patient, but he said, you're 100% and uh, you don't need to ever see me again. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm so and, glad to hear yeah, that. And so, hats off to Nikki for all the acting stuff she so did. quickly yeah. and, and taking real good care. Yeah. yeah you know, so, so that, that was uh, the cool thing. What I did is for three months when I, I was uh, waiting to go back to work, uh, for three months, I would practice like 10, 10 and a half hours every day huh. and uh, singing and playing. Yeah. And by working both sides of the brain and the, the connections between the two hemispheres, it it, it helped uh, flush the stuff faster. So what was that like at first? Do you, what was it like when you tried to play in the, those early stages? There was lots of stuff I couldn't even, even at all think about. I mean, I just couldn't come up with whatsoever. You know, there's a lot uh-huh. of it for, for the first week or so. But it slowly relinked a lot of stuff wow. in, in those three months. That's and, incredible. Yeah. So what do you, you said there were two types. Um, what, is, what do you call that type, the, one, the I, kind I, that you I forget suffered. the name of it now. But the kind I had is just that it's, I had this huge blood uh-huh. It burst, yeah, and that that was. Uh, but you know, your that's what uh, your your body blocks. Um, it tries to like using sticky glue or something on the wall. That's what the bad stuff. Everybody says, "Well, you shouldn't have that." Well, when you have something like this happen, you need huh. that to do it. And then people go, "But well, you're not supposed." To. You need that because <laughs> it stops the the blood from flowing out into your you know. Just the rest of your yeah your, your head yeah yeah but but if you look at uh, then and now in my blood uh, it, the numbers now look great oh yeah, that's so, so fantastic so so anyway I, I've had I had three solid months of getting to play all day every day you know which was <laughs> awesome for me yeah uh, and I've changed a few things you know there's a few there's a few things that I. I thought, well, I'm going to have to relearn this because it's it's the linkage is just I cannot get the link. There's still a few things that you're you the, know that you're not quite back to how well, you. Well, they'll were never before. be back. Yeah. I know they'll never be back. And so, mm-hmm. so I, I either relinked and recreated and repracticed and worked on, or or I thought, well, there's a couple of things I thought, you know, it was pretty good the way I used to do it, but there's a better way that I could. Do, I'll just do it something different, new in that. And so I changed a few things. Yeah. What do they say? The necessity is the mother of invention. So right, you're right. you're forced into some some creative thinking. Yeah. I guess. Exactly. So that's kind of cool. I'm, yeah. it, it sounds like you're looking at the the positive aspects of it, so that's great. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm pretty close to 100% now back. I mean, almost every single song I've ever played, I can play it like that if I want to, or I play it even Oh, that's so great. Things. Well, I know everyone's really happy to see you uh, here and doing yeah. so well. That's cool. So let's talk about uh, playing. So Yeah, I, enough about the sad stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's all good. Um, <laughs> I grew up, uh, first of all, People ask me how long have I been listening to banjo. Yeah. And so I've been listening to banjo longer than I've been alive. And my mother was pregnant with me, and so mm-hmm. she sat, she broke her ankle. So she sat and rocked with the other foot, because didn't have the broke ankle, and played banjo, waiting for me to be born. So I heard it in the womb. Right up against her belly. It was I, I love right it. And there. this has always been the sound of the banjo that, for me, even the worst ban- banjo playing I've ever heard I loved. Uh-huh. I just like the tones. I like even good, bad banjos. Doesn't matter. I just really like banjo. It, it's something. It's a part of my family and life. Yeah. So my mom passed away two years ago. All right. At eighty-eight, and um, uh, she sat and she played banjo. She had it in her stand beside her chair. She put it down, 
went to sleep, and that was the end of it. Wow. So it's a, uh, sad that she's gone, but it was a beautiful way for it to happen. A poetic, yeah. poetic ending. So it ended the way years began in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it really did. And uh, So anyway, I grew up uh, hearing old-time banjo. She, she frailed. Okay. And my grandmother, her mother, and her father, they frailed also. So I grew up uh, hearing them. So, uh, Where is this? Where did you go? Fort Payne, Alabama. Okay. And I'm, I have a new album I'm working on right now that'll be ready in the fall. And uh, there's a, a song in it that I do. I call it the slapping song. I think you may have heard me do it before. But anyway, it's my grandfather's song. He would do it. And he would do it with his Barlow knife and slide banjo. Oh, so it's some how blues cool. stuff. It's very cool. So I, yeah. I recorded that, and I'm really happy with that. Uh do you okay. actually use a, a Barlow knife, or you, you use a slide? I actually use a slide, but yeah. I have his Barlow knife, and sometimes at home I'll do it, but I don't carry it around with me because I'm afraid I'd lose it. I yeah. love it. But, you can't fly with it either, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was like a little kid. I would follow him around and beg him, hey, play, play, play slide banjo for me, and he would do it. And oh, he loved how it. cool. When did you start noticing that you wanted to play too? Well, about 14 or so, really, okay. when I, I got serious about it, and... Um, I was uh, home from school, sick one day by myself, yeah. and I snuck and got mom's banjo out of the- Was that not allowed? That was, you weren't supposed to I, I wasn't supposed to mess with her <laughs> banjo. That's her thing, you know? Yeah. And um, so I snuck it out from under the bed and got it out and started. And by the time they got home, I could play the first song, and it was okay. And then I just got better and better quicker, very, very quickly. And uh, so by 15, I won the Southeastern United States Banjo Championship in a bunch of these contests. I would won- a friend of mine said that he every contest he's ever seen, uh, I won. And uh, I, I, when I was young, I, so he's I, your good luck charm. It sounds like it's just weird. Uh, I, I entered, but it was really the education I got from other players and hanging out at, at festivals and at contests and stuff. What do you feel like you learned from from being in that environment? Well, it was. Um, the beauty of of uh, music and all the aspects of it is very important. But uh, often I would see somebody play something and I would ask the questions and, and say, oh, that's cool. And by, usually when I would watch something like the first time I saw Don Reno, for instance, mm-hmm. when I saw him play, I just cried and put my banjo up and said, I can never be that good. Wow. And uh, And then about an hour later, I sat down and just from having seen him uh-huh. do it, I learned uh, uh, the song. Uh, uh, Little Rock Getaway. Little Rock Getaway. So nice. I saw him. I'd never seen anybody play it. never heard it before. But in one viewing of it, I then sat down, and within an hour or so, I could play it. And you were able to just, your, your my, memory was such head, that you noticed so much what his It, I, it was a recording. Were. It was like it was so impressed me. So it was like a physical uh, picture in my head. And everything he did, and oh boy, when they asked him to do it, somebody, and he said, he had this breath he did, <laughs> and he's just like, oh, you know, he went, huh, okay. And he did it, and he played it so well, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I became friends with him, and he showed me a lot of cool things. And uh, there was a contest, mm-hmm. and I did not know uh, he was playing the next day. But so I entered the contest, and I won the banjo contest. And uh, but I didn't know he was one of the judges because the judges were out of sight. Oh, yeah, right. And so uh, that night, 
I was playing and I broke my first string, my uh, D first string. This is before the contest this, or after? This is right after the contest. Okay. I broke the string and I didn't have a string. Yeah. And I thought, man, I'm going to be at this festival. I, oh, I'm going to be here the, all weekend, you know, with no string. Yeah. And I didn't know he was standing behind me listening to me jam in this jam. So in about five minutes, I was sitting there going, well, I guess I'm put my banjo up. And he came up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around and, and he said, hey, Here's you some strings. I knew you needed some. Oh, I was that's like, great. he had gone to his bus and got strings and gave them to me. Oh, how and so cool. that's how I got to know him. And of course, he'd already heard me play. And he had just awarded and, you and awarded with, me yeah. the contest. So uh, he was the nicest guy, and he showed me so many cool things on the banjo. Um, Are you able to demonstrate something that yeah, he showed you? Let, like me, what, let me share like, some. There's a couple of things that I'll share with, with folks because yeah, that'd be wonderful. Uh, one of the things uh, he taught me. Let me go to, to D. <laughs> So um, he taught me um, interesting is I watched him playing I noticed that he could play in D and play like he play like chords like all these chords and I was like how in the world does he know G D and how can he be in different, different tunings, tunings and, and know the chords uh-huh. well he said James here's a secret but don't tell anybody so I'm I'm telling everybody cause yeah I, yeah because I want to tell everybody everyone plug your ears you're not allowed to hear this yeah part. this part is the secret part is <laughs> you can play something in G you can play it in D. All you do is move over a string. Mm-hmm. So if you play, uh, I've never played it before, but like uh, Ojo Clark. Uh-huh. So if I was going to play that uh, here, I'd play it in. So that's how I just move the str- over one, one string over, and I can play all the chords. The. Stay off of that oh, high D string, right? And you can most of it if you're in the key of D, you leave that first string. You can use it as a another pedal point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Flips your drone string. To yeah, the, to the so top. So you can all those things you normally do in G, you just play it in D. Yeah, yeah. So, that's that's a great quick and dirty way to to get, to get started. Yeah, and it gets you the chords, so you can at least play backup behind people exactly, and play in D, yeah. and which is a great thing. Um, was part of what he showed you? You had those um, those single string triplets on the on one string. Is that something that he it showed you how to do? He showed me too? exactly how he, uh, the exactly right. So it's like using a forward roll on one string on one is the string. way he did it. Yeah. Um, uh, not he didn't do too many triplets. That was one of the few ones that he did triplets with single string. Yeah. Because a single string. He mostly did single string. He would use his thumb and index and do alternating like you're using a pick. Like a flat doing, pick. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. And, of course, he hung out with Arthur Smith and these guys on guitar, and he played guitar. So it, it just easily went into the banjo for him. 
So he was one of your main influences, and I definitely hear that hear a lot of him in your playing. Of yeah, course, yeah. Was there anyone else noteworthy that you remember really trying to to learn a lot from? Well, I, I loved everybody. You know, I, I listened and, and wore out the records. You know, before I moved to Nashville, when I was uh, so when I was eighteen, I moved to Nashville and started living uh, living there and playing full time for uh, for a living. And I never had a lesson at this point, except the little bit that uh, that Don Reno had taught me. Yeah. Uh, but everything else, I just kind of figured out pretty quick on my own. And I wanted to to learn more theory, and, and so I wanted to advance with my playing. You know, so um, I heard that a guy was coming to town that was going to have a two day workshop, mm-hmm. and it was Bill Keith. Oh, how and cool. so my first stuff that someone showed me was those two days with Bill Keith, who I will never forget, and I always uh, he was a great friend and, and a great musician, uh-huh. and he knew so much about theory and the circle of fifths, and oh yeah, he and I we had so much fun for all the years we would write and email continuously to each other. All the years I've known known him, and I miss him so much now. Then I finally got decided, okay, now I need to get serious and get a good teacher. So I heard about this guy that was real obscure, and his name was um, Mr. Farrell, Henry Farrell. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I called him up, and after talking a long time on the phone, he said, okay, you can come over and take a lesson Tuesday. He's in Nashville, too? He's in Nashville. Or was at the time, anyway. Yeah, Yeah. and so uh, I I was like, wow, okay. So I didn't tell him I played banjo, and he plays guitar. Oh. He had taught uh, Chet Atkins and Jethro Burns how to play. Oh, wow. He was an incredible jazz uh, musician, and in particular, he had a, a system that he did. So I, sh- I came in with the banjo, and so I'm 18. <laughs> I come in from my banjo, and he looks, and he says, I don't t- I don't play banjo. I don't <laughs> like banjo. You got the wrong place. Yeah. He says, so he says, I don't like banjo. I don't like anything <laughs> about it. And I, so I started crying. Oh, no. And then he thought, he felt bad, so he thought, well, oh, no, no. So he said, here, try something. So he, he, said, he asked me some questions, and he said, he said, so several questions, and he said, well, you know that. And so he asked me, so do you know every note? Do you know your notes? And I said, yes, sir. And uh, and so he said, well, like the, the 22nd fret, uh, second string. And that's, I said, yeah, that's an A. And he's like, okay, well, you know all that. You don't need any lessons. I said, no, but I, I got I understand that that's an A, but which A would that be on on music if you were going to read music? And would, would it be this A, that A? I mean, wh- wh- how do you know? Yeah. And so he started telling me stuff, and pretty soon he he gave me the hardest song that he knew of. It was my first lesson. He gave it to me trying to get rid of me because he he didn't want, he want yeah, banjo he wanted at to all. Discourage you, right? So. He he gave it to me. He didn't set up another time to get together. He said, "Just call me when you're ready with that." So he yeah. thought that would end it. Yeah. And what what was the tune? Um, it was like Cherokee or something. Yeah, it was something like <laughs> like Cherokee. Yeah. And uh, so I called him two days later and said, "Okay, I've got that down, and I'm ready for another <laughs> lesson." So that was I got the first lesson was on Tuesday. My next lesson then was on Thursday. Just so, a couple of days later. A couple of days later, and I took two lessons like that from him for about three or four years and wow. I became his favorite student 
and he loved banjo, oh. which is so crazy. Congratulations, and you converted him. It, it, it was really fun, and, and he would give me extra hours. I mean, like hours and hours of when I would go over, you know, yeah. I would just have to just finally leave. In. Yeah. So it was a really great time, and I heard all these wonderful stories in, about Chet Atkins and uh-huh. Jethro Burns and stuff. And so then when I, got to, when I went backstage at the Opry now, Chet knew me because he talks to Mr. Farrell all the time. And so Chet yeah. invited me into his place and his uh, dressing room and stuff backstage at the Opry and hang out and talk and laugh. And, you oh, know, holy was, cow. That's so, so great. Uh, and you're still just like either a late teenager or 20 I was, years I old was 18, or 18 or 19. Wow. That's incredible. And um, so that was, that was, I was lucky. You know, like Roy Acuff. Uh-huh. And the great guitar player that played with him was um, Charlie Collins. Mm-hmm. And then the dobro player, Pete Kirby, was his real name. But yeah. B- bashful brother Oswald was his stage name. Uh-huh. I became really good friends with them. And I'd go backstage and hang out with them in, in Mr. Acuff's dressing room and, and play. And it was just so nice. I, yeah. I, it just that's happened. a heck of a group of friends you found for yourself. That's, yeah. That's and for sure. it just happened just by me going into a music store. It's the day I got to Nashville. I went into this music store just to jam, and mm-hmm. I, I first went in and made sure it was okay, and I said, you know, hey, can I, I didn't know the guys sitting there playing, and I said, uh, it's okay if I bring my banjo in? Oh, yeah, come on in. So I went back to my car, got my banjo, came in there, and started playing, and I, I didn't know Charlie Collins, the guitar player and mandolin player and fiddle player, really great musician that played with Roy Acuff. He was the main guy in, in Roy's band. So we played about 15 minutes, and he says— He was the one sitting in the guitar shop? He was sitting there because oh, they wow. had the daytime off because they're musicians, right? <laughs> and so there's the st- at this uh, the picking parlor. It's on 12th Avenue there uh-huh. in Nashville. It was then. It's no longer there. Um, so about 15 minutes in, he says, hey, James, uh, hold on a minute. I want to call my boss. I want him to hear you. And I didn't know who—I didn't know his name, much less his boss. Sure. So he goes over, gets on, picks up the phone back there, dials it, and says, oh, yeah. So— he said, he'll be here in a little while. So we're sitting there, and about five minutes later. And it's Roy? In walks Roy Acuff. Oh. And he comes over, and he introduces, and it's like the coolest thing. So Roy, this was like on a, on a Friday or something. Uh-huh. And Roy uh, it was there about, he had me play a couple songs, you know, and they listened. And he said, well, why don't, you, why don't you come over and play with us at the Opry the, this weekend? And I said, Oh, yeah, great. So I thought I was just going to hang out like we're playing like this. And then I get on stage and get to play. This is this is the kind of thing where if you wrote a movie script about this, yeah, it nobody would real. think it's realistic. No, you saw, yeah. and, and so I was there. Uh, Mr. Aikoff was so nice to me. And he, um, I was there for a while. I got in, uh, and I had to ask the, the guard at the front. To, and they said, oh, yeah, tell them to come on in. So. He said, oh, let me straighten this out, James. And so he walked back there and told the, the he said, I want you to inter- know this guy. And he's talked to the, to the security guard. He said, this is James McKinney. And any time he wants to come to the Opry, he's, he's got my name down. You write it down. And he can come any time. So I could go to the Grand Ole Opry, go backstage, and go in Roy Acuff's dressing room and hang out with all the musicians. Whoever was anytime there. Anytime I wanted to. Oh, how cool. And, and yeah. you know, it's not anything I did. I just happened to be there at the right place, right time, and they were just nice people. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't buy that no, with money. No, you yeah. couldn't. So I recorded. <laughs> uh, if you look on YouTube, there's some uh, a recording of me and, and Charlie Collins playing uh, uh, John Hardy, 
Uh-huh. Uh, and something else on his album, uh, maybe his whole album might be out there now. But it's uh, Charlie Collins and Friends, and it's on a recording. It's a re- the recording is is there free on on YouTube, but it's yes, yeah, the whole recording. It's, it's fun because that was in my early days. I mean, if you listen to that, that was me my, within my first year of, of living in Nashville. Yeah. So you'll hear, you still hear me, but you'll, you'll hear, wow, James has learned some things after that too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I would hang out with them, and uh, Charlie Collins uh, is, was great on all the instruments, but Pete Kirby, he played frailing banjo. And played dobro. That's what he was known yeah. for, his dobro playing. And I remember I was sitting with them one day, and uh, they did John Hardy and sang it. And I never heard the words. I'd heard people play it as an instrumental, mm-hmm. but I didn't know. That was long before, like, uh, Tony Rice recorded or anybody that sang right. it. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, there's words to it. You know, I just yeah. blew my mind. And so uh, I learned uh, from Pete. Uh, the frail with my picks on. I figured out how to do it with <laughs> yeah. my other fingers, right? Yeah, you're doing a backwards yeah, brush yeah, yeah. Uh, thing with the fingers. So, uh, so I will sometimes, every now and then, I may play that tonight just for the fun of it, and, and play in, in, I'll play natural straight-ahead bluegrass and then do the frailing, too. And Brother Oswald yeah, kind of style. Yeah, th- kind of thinking of him and thinking of that song. Anyway, that, that was like the beginning of me getting to know people. Then I became uh, uh, really good friends with uh, Vassar Clemens. Mm-hmm. And who was like my best friend in the whole world, and we were best friends. And I mean, we got together all the time and played. And I traveled with him, playing. And we played the cool jazz festivals. Uh-huh. And uh, he and I would sit in with the Grateful Dead and play all night the whole sets with them. And uh, we would just jump on the plane and go places and play. And so about seven or eight years there, I played full time, pretty much every time that Vassar played. Wow, and that wasn't necessary. Was that with a specific group that Vassar had, or well, the Vassar Clemens band? Yeah, and, okay. And like, uh, oh, uh, my uh, Dowling is here. He was yeah. in the band with us. So, oh, uh, he so was. He, I, I didn't know that. Okay, we were talking. Oh, cool. You know, he would play guitar, and we was like, oh, it's good to see him. I hadn't seen him in a while, and oh, he played so good last night. Oh, yeah, uh, sounded fantastic. Uh, but so I knew uh, we were one time we were playing, and somebody said um, John Belushi's brother he played guitar and so somehow somehow somebody i don't know how who it was that knew him said he really would like to play why don't y'all let him go play a gig with you and so i looked at bash and we said sure we didn't know him we didn't yeah. so don't here, know if he's any good or anything yeah you know and he became a, a very famous actor then uh-huh. <laughs> but it's it's funny just running into yeah. all these people i have so many questions what what would be the first one so you play with the Grateful Dead. You're looking at, at a guy who I don't listen to them so much anymore, but I definitely went through quite a phase. Uh-huh. So that's really interesting to me. What, uh, 
I don't even know what to ask you. What was that like for such a young guy to be playing with? It was really I mean, that, that's quite a scene. To yeah, just it was be, a whole different mindset, into. you know. And the, and they'd have so many musicians on stage, and yeah. it's just like three drummers and you know four keyboard guys, and mm-hmm. it was just wild. And I, do you remember what year that might have taken place? In? There's um there's a recording uh, that I saw the other day that somebody had taped. You know, uh, of yeah, a, that's the cool thing about the, them. At the, the uh, Devil's Head Resort hmm. was the area. It was the one I played all that, and, and then Vassar and I played. We opened. We opened for the gig, and then we played uh, the whole night. All the songs with them and. Oh. I got yeah. to track that down. That sounds really interesting. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> and it's great musicians and and uh, uh, going backwards. So when you when you f- remind me of your teacher's name, who who taught Chet Atkins, Henry Farrell. Henry Farrell. So it sounds like you went to see him to specifically to learn more jazz. What I what I I just wanted to learn theory. Really is what I was interested okay. in and understanding reading how, music too. how and, yeah. and 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 he had me read. So I could sight read at that time. I got so I could sight read pretty fast and pretty good. Yeah. Um, his method is so different from what most people would understand. Uh, it is a three-part harmony. So let me give you an example. So you see, he yeah, that's he what only, I wanted to get to. He, I was curious on what he did, was showing you. He only taught. He said that the greatest music, in his opinion, was from the twenties, and that if you're going to learn music and understand theory. That's the era to study and learn, and then you can take it on anywhere you want to. So, like, he would give me songs like, um, um, Blue skies, blue skies, yeah. Uh, blue skies all the day long. So, and he would do it so that the melody is on top, and you play the other two notes in a chord below, and then I figured out the arpeggiation system that I use for that kind of stuff. Uh, so you would hear the melody perfectly. You know, it's not close. It's perfect. And then below is the harmony. It's like you're playing three-part harmony with yourself is what it amounts to. But that so, melody is always on the top. On the top. Yeah. And so he would, it would give me, like, the melody written out, just the melody, and then above it written all these in chords like minor seven, thirteens, all these chords. And so you'd sight read that. And that's a different way of doing it, like a... I think of something that, that people would like or uh, hear. Uh. So that's three-part harmony playing yeah. playing the melody on top. So that that's basically how one could read out of a fake book. That's exactly what the the fake books show you. That's and, got enough in there. And to if do you know that. what how to fill out the chord the, harmony, then, yeah, then you got the full thing. So you yeah. know you can do some really interesting stuff with that. So I, I learned for three four years two lessons a week with right. him. Do you agree with him that that? Repertoire is kind of the place to go to to study yeah, up on, on yeah. Those like like for instance, um, a good example is um, Don Reno recorded. Um, 
so world uh, world's waiting for sunrise. Hmm. Okay. But if you learn it like the way Mr. Farrell would have me read it, it would be like. So you get you hear the. It is more like a jazz guitar way of doing things. Right. The the chord melody. Right. Yeah. So those are the kind of songs that we studied. And then from that, I learned that this song was written, uh, the first chord is, so it's, that's an augmented chord, augmented. right? So And so I learned, that was, that was the first song that, that he had me to understand how augmented chords work and what they do. It creates a tension to then C, so then augmented, then A minor. Then augmented C, 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 but all going up the, the yeah. pitches, you know. Yeah. So it's really interesting studying them and learning, okay, so that's where that's the best use, from his opinion, the best use of using an augmented chord. To use as a tension it's, it's, right before. And if you look at it physically, so... It's so you. I've learned like when I'm playing, I'll try to use it as a smooth way to push in. People, I very seldom ever, I don't know, hardly anybody's ever said, "Oh, you play a lot of augmented chords." <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not something they, that people never, are used to. They never hear hearing, it. Right? They don't hear it because it's so. They they hear this. It doesn't sound like an augmented chord. Now, if I went, yeah, yeah you go. Oh, I hear it's augmented, but what you hear. more subtle yeah yeah, yeah. And so that was kind of the, the way he thought was the more appropriate so he wanted you to study the 20s and 30s songs and that's what he that's all he would let I mean, me touch that's it's great it's great material people are still playing it so yeah so so then after a couple of years the three years with him i wanted to get more technical yeah as a player so i found this guy who everybody talked about in nashville and um he was just an incredible technician. I've never seen uh, anybody with more technical prowess than this guy. Hmm. And so I studied with him a couple of years. He just had the speed and the quality, but it wasn't very musical. Huh. You know? Okay. But that's why he's not known, because it's not yeah. the musicality of it. Do you it. remember his name? Um, no, I'm trying to remember. Um, well, one, the one after that, I, I studied with uh, Lenny Bro. You know who Lenny Yeah, the, the jazz guitarist. Uh-huh. Yeah. I studied with him next yeah. after that. And I, I learned some, some really good musical stuff from him. Oh, yeah. Um, can't even imagine. Uh, yeah. And I took from David Baker. I don't know if you know who David Baker is. I don't. Uh, he, uh, I, I would drive up on my day off. I would drive all the way up into Indiana and, and go to the college where he taught. And uh, he taught bebop and jazz. Hmm. And so I studied bebop with him. And I did that for about a year, year and a half. Uh, and I wish I'd taken more from him. Uh, uh, the guy who plays uh, fiddle with uh, the the Grisman Quintet. Uh, uh, Daryl Anger? Daryl Anger. Uh, he went to that school and studied with him. That's who he studied oh, with. Oh, okay. So that's that's where he comes from. Yeah, how cool. Um are you are you able to distill what you what you learned there into like any uh, well, like which if people want to play bebop or want to get into jazz what's what's like a really important thing to work on would you say yeah well I, I, one of the main things uh, there's a lot of 
elements. But the, one of the main things is learning how to play the bebop scales. Their chromaticism that's an added, there's two or three ways to add this notes. Mm-hmm. So if you take... Um, um, so, uh, that line is one of the major bebop things, and you take it and twist it and use it, but yeah. you get this, that's still the same lick, is, is uh, the thing, there's, uh, there's, uh, And so from that, he would teach you. So what is that exactly? That's like using all the different sevenths. Um, is yeah. that what I'm hearing there? Uh, uh, the the like simplest the, way to, to talk. So what you're doing is uh, that particular one. I'm just now doing. I'm doing a G scale, mm-hmm. and when I get to the E, then you go E. E sharp and then to, uh, so E uh, E F F sharp. So there's a chromaticism. Right. Yeah. So and when you go, you use it only going downward. The, all those notes, you mean? Yeah. Okay. And what that does is instead of having our seven notes, it's now got eight notes. Mm-hmm. And what it does is is by putting it in and taking it downward, every time you pat. Every time you pat your foot, you're now on a chord tone. Right. That's what jazz bebop, that's the, the whole thing is getting so you're. If you don't play the, the extra notes, which is either that one or there's one that you play in between, you can do that one too. But it doesn't keep you as good on major chords. Yeah. Um, if you don't do that, then you have to go oompa oompa. Which yeah. is a rhythmically you have to you have to over you would mickey, be accenting non chord tones otherwise yeah. so you start the rhythm has to you have to like overdrive the Mickey Mouse thing it's that it's that rhythmic bounce you get you have yeah. to do yeah, because, that galloping right? because you don't have chord tones or not on where the downfall should be yeah and that's why how the bebop guys why does it only work going down. Um, when you go up, if you take a regular scale, uh-huh. so one, two, and then there's the three, so, and, so the down, going up, one, three, and five is in the right place. Right. And then the F sharp, or major seven sound, is in the right place. So, so, so going, cool. going up, okay. a regular scale going up is cool because you get, but when you go down is where it, it, everything is... You know, it's the wrong notes yeah. going down. That's why you add that note. That that makes sense. Yeah, especially in a jazz context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, that chords and, and stuff. Uh, le- learn. The two five one stuff. You know, you have to learn that in bebop. And so I learned a lot about using coming up with chords that that will. Uh, the two fives. That's that's. Uh, yeah, they make up so much of, of yeah. those songs. Like when I play uh, Cherokee, for instance, it's in, the bridge of Cherokee is like one of the best examples. Uh, mm-hmm. 
that's the A part. The B part is. So that's two, five, one, and it's going down in a whole steps. Yeah. And um, that that gives you an example. Of, you learn how to do it in so many places. Then when you take your solo over that part, that. So like a. That's the. It gives you a long path of doing two five ones like five of them in a row, <laughs> and, which gives you. It's good because that that's a good practice for me to work on the, that song. That's why it's, that's why I play that song a lot. Yeah. Uh, the bad thing is, oh shoot! I only have one or two good two five one two five one licks. So now you got to learn some more to change it up, or it sounds too much the same. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, that's <laughs> the, the good are, and the people bad. People are going to catch on pretty quickly. Yeah, that's the good <laughs> and the bad. <laughs> At some point, I I heard you were Bill Monroe's neighbor. Is that true? We were really good friends. Like okay. Um, what ha- I, when I first moved to town when I was eighteen, I had uh, on a one uh, Oak Oak Park Apartments where I lived. Mm-hmm. And it was only less than four or five blocks, but there were big blocks, yeah. uh, was where his uh, office was, where right. Monroe's. And uh, also, across the street from me, there's this this guy, um, uh, Red and Birdie, uh, and they, they lived across from me, and they were really nice, but they were good friends with Bill Monroe. Mm-hmm. And what they did is when Bill would be out playing, they would go and feed his animals and take care of his farm for him. Okay. And he played mandolin. She played bass. And they were they were just sweethearts. Yeah. So I got to be good friends with them because they lived like less than a block away from my house. Sure, so sure. I'd go over and see them. And they, and they were so nice. They said, are you making? Are you eating? Are you doing okay? I mean, they were <laughs> really nice folks. And I yeah. was 18. And so in the wintertime, it was harsh. To yeah. make enough money to play banjo, because all I did was play banjo, right? So he was a painter, is what Red did. He would like say, you know, if you need some money, you could come and help me paint mm-hmm. and stuff. So there like was house like, painting, house painting yeah, and okay. stuff. Like he, I never went, but maybe one or two times, but <laughs> because other people needed the money worse than I was needing, because I was doing okay getting started playing. Yeah. But they were uh, still looking out. But for they you. were, yeah, yeah, they were family. Yeah, and that's so, so great. So it was not a surprise that every Sunday, if Bill Monroe was in town, Bill would come to their house, and we'd make homemade ice cream and sit and talk, and me and him were friends. <laughs> and he asked me about four different times uh, that I remember uh, that he wanted me in his band and asked me to join his band four different times, but I never did. Not I was just too busy playing with Vassar and doing this other more outside stuff. So were you more into that, or you, you, just you know, I, I loved his too, but there wasn't much money, and it was you know riding on a bus, not not as good a money as what I made playing with Vassar and me, and us really seriously yeah. playing. But I really thought about it hard every time, and I still you know, I, and so every Tuesday night I played, I had station in, it was my <coughs> my thing, and Vassar would do it with me. So every Tuesday night in the summer, in the winter time and the summer, if we were not, unless we were playing somewhere and I get somebody else to fill in, me and Vassar had Tuesday at the station inn. Okay. And if Bill Monroe was not out playing, 
he would always come to the station in with us up. and show up. And he would sit in front like it was a place where he always liked to sit. And I'd look at him, and he'd give me the, the, the nod of did he want to play or not want to play. Sometimes he just wanted to listen. And you knew how to just I, read his body I, language. I knew him and, well enough because yeah. we sit for hours talking about fox hunting and, and stuff where you sit and listen to the dogs. I grew up with that and went hunting all the time and fishing. and yeah. So he and I had this very common thing where I came from and he came from. Yeah. Uh, so he would nod and he would get up and play. And uh, I remember one time he played Wayfaring Stranger. Okay. So he played Wayfaring Stranger. He said, James, take a break. So I took a break. Uh-huh. He said, he did, he did, sang another thing. He said, James, take another break. And he had me four times in the same song play four times breaks. And and that's like a pretty slow song. Yeah. It's, it's not like your typical yeah, banjo yeah. ripper. No, it's, uh, it's, 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 yeah. but he wanted to hear me doing that for some something in his mind. And, he, and I remember that night and we got through. He said, that was very, very good. He said, James. You really should be in my band. You should just come and start playing with me now. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, I got gigs already planned, real, and you know." But it was yeah. it was way cool. Yeah, that's really nice. Him and his ice cream must be a distinct memory for people because I had uh, I had Jens Kruger on on the show recently, and that was something he mentioned. He's like, "I always remember every." Every night, I think he said it was at midnight or something. He's like, ice cream time. Oh, yeah, he and loved he ice cream. So, uh, and us <laughs> making our own with the, putting bananas and cutting them up and stuff in oh. it. It was really great ice cream. Gourmet stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, the first time that we were, me and him were sitting and turning, it was just us two doing most of the turn of the ice cream. And the other guys were doing, I don't know what they were doing. Yeah. But he said, James, go get your banjo. Because we finally got it so you couldn't <laughs> turn it, you know. Yeah. And he said, go get your banjo. I want to teach you a song. And he taught me Jerusalem Ridge. That's, okay. that's where I learned it from him. It, and it, it's funny. During, during the ice cream break. Yeah. yeah. Waiting for it to be ready. You yeah. know? I had somebody come up to me. Several several people have come up and would say, no, you're playing Jerusalem Ridge wrong. And I would just look at them and go, well, okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, it is there is time. There's a timing thing. There's an extra beat, yep. you know, two extra beats, actually. In that on that part, and it's there, and you, you can't. It's there. Yeah, yeah it's a very odd. <laughs> it's odd, odd and so really they, I've had people tell head. me that I'm wrong, and I go, "Well, I know Bill taught it to me, so you know." But I don't argue with people about it. Yeah, it's, it's not just, worth it. <laughs> but it's a cool song. It's one of my favorite songs. I oh, just like it. Yeah, it's very cool. Let's see who else. I, you know, and I played like on some albums with different people, lots of different people. What do you do? You have a specific recording of yours that you are most proud of if people really wanted to hear some yeah uh mind over banjo is what i'm i'm my my personal one because it's me yeah. and vassar you know yeah there's an, also an album there's three albums or four albums of me and vassar that i'm really proud of um there's an album of me and vassar kathy Kiavala on bass and bobby clark playing guitar okay the four of us and we traveled for a year hitting bluegrass festivals and doing that together and so there was somebody recorded that and it's uh, that's on cd that's really cool yeah uh i played like on dolly parton stuff um oh uh, interesting thing is so so i i can't remember where i was when somebody asked me somebody said dolly parton wants you could you come work and fix her banjo and you know, I didn't. I didn't know her. I didn't know anything really much about her. Really, you know, I was just. Did you know how to fix banjos? Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, but anyway, she <laughs> I was, didn't know if that was an unusual she, thing for you. To well, I didn't really. I never told anybody that I worked on. I don't remember yeah. how it came about. But anyway, yeah. they said, 
I go, they give me this secret pathway because you don't really go in the front door to, to her house where she used to live. She doesn't live there now. Okay. Uh, anyway, you go around to the back and you wind through its way to get to it. So I did it and I got there and it was her, nobody else. And she said, oh, please come to James, come in. Well, you, uh, you want something to eat? And she's trying to fix food for me and be nice. She said, my banjo needs, it doesn't sound good. And so I adjusted it and, and got it to sound good. So she was going to go play a, in a in a, uh, a TV thing where she was going to play the thing. She plays a banjo on a song. And so she wanted her banjo to sound good. So I did it. And then she w- kept trying to give me money. And I said, no, I just, you know, I spent a couple of hours with her, got it working great. And she said, no, no. So she gave me a bass, an upright bass. That was she, your payment that, for, she was, for she, fixing I wouldn't it up. take the money. So she said, well, look, I've got this bass, and it's in the way. Will you take it? You know, she was just so sweet. <laughs> oh, that's great. I uh, love Dolly. Yeah. And she was she, happy with she how, was how it sounded, happy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it sounded good, and she played good. And, you know, it was her long fingernails, you know, it, it had to be set lightly so that she could do yeah. it at the angles because when you have too long of fingernails. Well, does, she always tunes her guitar in open chords, right, so she can just You bar, can do a lot bar, of that, right, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's so, pretty which, great. It's very cool. Um, I could listen to your stories all day, man, but I don't want to uh, let you go without at least discussing your your instrument that you oh. have and some of the the technical sure, things. Sure, sure. I, I mean, I've I know you've had this banjo just for ages. So, yeah. So tell us about about so, this. Uh, this one was built for me custom. I had a I had made uh, pictures of a 1930s. Uh, all American, mm-hmm. gets an All American. So I took those pictures and ma- and put them up to scale on the wall and made sketches and gave them exactly what I wanted made. Yeah, and sold the other one for a lot of money. Uh, oh, you already owned an All American. I had a real, the real one, the thirties. Yeah, 30s. yeah. And I ended up selling that, and uh, then I had this one made exactly like I wanted. The reason I got rid of the 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 original one was because it was an arch top. I, I oh, wanted a flathead. Okay, right. So I had this one made exactly like I want. So uh, Kenneth Kirk, he's passed on, but uh, he was uh, the guy who did all the carving, all the hand carving. It's a beautiful piece of art, all the engraving and stuff. And then I I did a lot of different things to it. And this tone ring was the first Huber tone ring. Oh, really? Ring. How interesting. And it, it doesn't... Uh, the first dollar that Steve Huber made, he had up on the wall, which was from me. And that was one of your dollars. That was for this this tone ring oh, right here. Yeah, this is uh, early on, and I once I put that tone ring in this banjo, I was so happy. I've been the most happiest I've ever been on any banjo. This banjo sounds to me perfect. I, I don't think for, I've ever seen you play anything else. So, I, 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 this yeah. is the one that I love. It's perfect for me. Yeah, you know, and um, so I, I did a lot of things. <laughs> During that whole process, like I, I cryogenically tempered the tone ring and all hmm. kinds of things that that are real far out. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, what effect did you perceive with that, or what was the goal the, of, of the, doing that? The uh, when you turn a ring, it's turned from a piece of metal and it's in a, it's turning in. Your, they have tools, you know, and the heat of it kind of changes. There's some some places that are not. It's not even. The vibrations don't go through, so there's tension. Like a den- with the density of the metal? Is that what the, you mean? The metal gets hot, and that hotness, it removes the way the molecules are mm-hmm. set. Is there a little bit of tension going on still? Okay. And if you do the take it down below zero and slowly bring it up in the right way, mm-hmm. 
it, it, you could look at it and they're all perfectly even where they're vibra- how distance between every note is like a it's like a path. You see it and you go, wow, that's a pattern. Yeah. It's okay. perfect. So you yeah, get perfectly even. So, so it distributes the rhythm, the the vibrations through the metal perfectly. Huh. So that's what it does. Now it doesn't change what's natural. It just gets rid of the tension that certain parts of it are different. So it's it's a small thing, but a lot of little things together all make a big thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You owned it before that process and after. Uh-huh. Did could you actually perceive? I, I can a difference with it totally. And it's just a more, a, it readily vibrates it's got a this, little. That, there's a, a beauty to it, a, an evenness that that yeah. it has. How it, interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. So I uh, did that. Now, I have a really good and incredible pickup system in it that's all been handmade. And um, uh, Yeah, tell me I, about that. What is, my wife is an electrical engineer and, oh, and yeah, stuff. Oh, right, so, right. So Nikki... Yeah, she actually made all of the inside stuff for it to make it sound better, more natural. So when I play, I play always with a wireless, and I don't even have a microphone ever when I when I perform. And she also makes custom speakers and cabinets, if mm-hmm. I remember. That's right. That's correctly. right. And there, there's one for the banjo that matches exactly what a banjo's vibrate the the range of the banjo so it's perfect for a banjo and what's what's the business name i know she had a a a label on it or whatever yeah well she's in the process of rebuilding that whole thing and she's so i'm not going to say because i'm not sure she's going to change the name or not sure sure but uh, yeah portman acoustics is what it was okay anyway that that's really cool what else I, i went to this wooden Armrest and it feels so much better. Yeah, I just like it. I'm a big fan of those. And too. the other thing is I that did, one of Tom Neckville's. That or, one is. Yes. I know there's was, a few it was, different. It was uh, versions it, of it. But. I I was going to build my own that matched exactly the fingerboard with you know, the ebony. You know, build an ebony that matched exactly. But I just never have done it. I've been so busy. Yeah. But uh, another thing I did is I took. I didn't have this long, and I took and took off the the speed. I made it a speed neck and took the. The, yeah, the back of the neck. Yeah, Did so you do feel, that with like one of those Brillo pads? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I just wanted it to feel natural. The wood of it, it connects and just feels better to me. Yeah, yeah. I've and, done that to some of my guitars and everything. Yeah, yeah. What kind of bridge is that? That you that's do? a custom bridge of my own design, and it is. It gives it more, makes it more perfectly in tune. Yeah. The the. Intonation on yeah. it is very curious. It's almost like a stair step looking, where yeah. each string has its own um, specific what? length that you can. You, hone you in can, on. if you look into it, you can buy. They have some that are stair stepped and that are, go like a like a moon, right? And fans stuff. out of it. But that 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 is all working on the math. The math of that your fingerboard uh, is thin up at the very first place, and it spreads out. So mm-hmm. the, so the so the strings get longer. Yeah. And uh, that's an interesting fact, but that's not math. This, I actually built a special thing that I can move each string. On that bridge, you not, can. No, I have a thing that I did oh. to make it, and I got the shape exactly. Got it. So, got it. And I did it with my, spur, my own specific strings. 
there has to be – so it'd be instrument by instrument because it has to be perfectly – if you want to try to get it as close to in tune yeah. through it out. So when I put a capo on, generally I don't have to tune or do anything. Oh, that's incredible. So not only instrument to instrument, but even the type of strings you use need to be – It has to match, precise. exactly. Yeah. If you're going to really get – and then you then once you get this template made, keep those strings always the same. And then, <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah, look, yeah. And I imagine you're – Head tension has to be the same too for that to work exactly. It sounds like well, yours is relatively low tension. Is that yeah? True? It's, it's it's fairly low. It's it's. I know exactly what you know mine and what kilograms of pressure is on mine. And okay, and that's what I always do it exactly the same. And as a matter of fact, I tested it, uh, yesterday. Okay, I, I have one in my banjo case. The, the knob, the the to see the vibra- the pressure of each. Thing. And as long as you don't put another head on, that once you get one locked in, you know, just keep it very close to the same yeah, amount and yeah, just keep it very, steady. Yeah. So you don't tune to a pitch when you're, you're doing, or do you know what pitch that would be tuned to? Uh, yeah. It, it's the tools that they use doesn't really tell you that because they're, it's a shape like, it's a wave that you have to do the way that I measure it. And I'll tell you how I measure it. How I measure it is I put it down. And I use lasers on it to get it how it vibrates, mm-hmm. and then you can you can actually get a, a picture of exactly what it does, and by tuning it like that, that's how I do it. Wow! How and did you build this system yourself? Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, that's really so crazy. So that's that's how you do it. If you want to do it uh, easier, uh-huh. an easier way for a regular person to do, take um, some duct tape. And go around the top of the, the uh, head, mm-hmm. so you're going around to kind of have a uh, like a thing on a truck that has the sides sides on it, you know, to yeah, keep stuff yeah. from falling off. Then get you some the smallest you can find uh, the color those little be uh, the people throw it in there. Uh, well, it's like, like confetti or it's something. It's like confetti, but it's real little. Put it put it oh, on there. Right. So sprinkle that all on there. Get it smooth, and then you can put it. You lay it down. And then you can put a speaker, and I usually do it a foot from it. Mm-hmm. Take and put a speaker, and you can put then have it do different sine waves of vibration. So you yeah. can say, and you can actually see. Take get make your take take a video. Is a good video is the best idea. Take yeah. a video, and you can see it'll it'll you'll you'll see it move and curve and it has patterns and right. all that. So you can actually then go, oh, now tighten it up and say, oh, now it's moving here, and you can actually adjust your head and learn. See the parts of the banjo head that are mm-hmm. maybe inconsistent. So if you're wondering, rest, the, yeah. the, the best one to look at is the bass, the bass string, because okay. it's, it's going to go generally up in this way if you're going to mm-hmm. get it really smooth. It, 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 you'll, you'll, yeah, I've seen some videos like that where they'll maybe put sand on some, I don't know, plexiglass or well, something, yeah, you, and yes. you can excite it. And that was originally the how the guys did it. Originally, yeah. uh, back in... Um, the days when the fiddles were made, the the great fiddles that are so expensive now, yeah. uh, Amati and uh, Strat, Strat, they actually did it. Uh, they had a pie pan uh-huh. and a point that they would stick on it, and that's how they would get it. Oh. And, and then they would take a tuning fork and do the specific frequency and see the patterns it would do with that. And that's it, how they would carve the tops. That's how the, and, and exactly like how that. they got the great car, carved tops that then balance musically. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, man. So, so what other? Who else do you consider like your main influences through the years? 
Well, you know, I started off, I loved everybody. I mean, uh, Earl Scruggs, of course, uh-huh. Don Reno. Those were my two main ones. I did love um, the singing and stuff of um, the uh, Stanleys. And then I I just, I liked uh, Osmond Brothers, of course. They were great singers, yeah. great players. And he's such a nice guy. And we were, we were good friends. And I liked, uh, really loved uh, Jesse McReynolds. Me and Vassar were, would, yeah. uh, anytime we weren't busy, we would run over and meet him at, in Sumner County Music Store. We'd call him up and say, hey, meet us over there. And we would pick all day. We'd go over there and just jam all day, the uh-huh. three of us. So I he has a very banjoistic style to him. He plays roles. With yeah, that, yeah. With that pick, I learned a bunch of songs that he wrote. Yeah, uh, and and note for note from him, you know, and that was really fun. And I just yeah. always liked his playing. He's just yeah. an amazing guy. Yeah, how incredible! What what are some of the best? T- I mean, you you teach at these camps and everything. What do you find students asking you about the most often, or or is there? Any advice that you find yourself often often giving that you think people should know? The, the main thing is a good right hand is really important if you want to go on to be a, a serious player. Mm-hmm. And getting rid of the excess motion and trying to have a good small amount of motion, just necessary, but no reach around, wind up like you do with a tennis ball. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, it's, it's – if you want Pretty to play – efficient. Yeah. Efficiency is yeah. very much the key and – Ways to get to that. There's just a million types of ways to practice. The other thing is getting the anchor system down. Most most banjo players need to have both foot fingers down on the head. Mm-hmm. And if you go with just one and you start moving it, you're looking at trouble in the long run. What do you think the the risks of doing that are? Pretty high if you don't have both fingers down. Like what is that um – What's the problem that that creates, I guess, is what I Okay, really so uh, if you hold your hands up, yeah. which I can't see, but <laughs> if, yeah, if, you, right. if you hold your hands up. Like we're doing a, a patty cake uh, like or something. Patty cake, <laughs> and then you pull down your ring finger. You can pull it, your ring finger, you can pull down quite a way. Okay, now, okay. So now straighten it back up. Yeah. Now just pull down the little finger without moving, and you see it move, yeah. right? Yeah, it's tough. The reason, <laughs> the reason that it moves is out of 90% of all people on the earth, the little finger and the ring finger of either hand are tied together to, to one muscle that pulls them, and it's kind of like a, a little angle. So you can pull it a certain amount, and then you can't do the rest of the way. And if you yeah. do it, uh, so knowing that, knowing that it's one muscle and those two tendons are actually tied. Now, if you're in that that ten percentile, they can do this, and they can. I can, of course, open my little finger, but I can't open that one without moving the. the <laughs> so take. And if you if they can do that, then they could use one finger and it would get away and it would never give me any problems. But if you have the two tied tendons. Yeah, which it seems like we both do. Yes, yeah. most folks do. 90% of sure, us do. Yeah. If your tendons are tied and you allow it to move, if you, if you move, I'm showing you, wish I could show everybody, but if you have your little finger down on the head and you allow your ring finger to move mm-hmm. – you really not got a good anchor system because it, if you're moving that ring finger, the, mus, the muscle that actually pulls and makes that happen is only one that also pulls that one. It's just kind of a little takes you have to pull a little farther to get it to move. So basically, you're saying that my anchor, my anchor, you're forcing the the joint to kind of lock. Yeah. And but the concept of it being an anchor is defeated by the fact that there's something allow pulling movement. on it. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so then since you don't have it, what happens is your brain 
eventually starts seeing that it's a problem. It says it's moving, but it doesn't want to be moving. It's moving. It's not, I don't want to be moving. Mm. And pretty soon it scratches the record, and you get carpal tunnel. Not carpal tunnel. Uh, there's a name for it. Um, I got a, a, a guy that that tried to solve the problem from Italy, and it's not even English. I got his video. Uh, I called him and got somebody to translate and talk to him, and he sent me, you know, just because I had a student or two who had issues, and I tried to figure out if it could be fixed, and really difficult, really, really difficult. Because mm. once, once you scratch that, then so eventually you get to the point where you'll be playing and your hand will lock up. Um, and then it gets worse and worse and worse till you finally get so you can't play. Huh. So that's why I say it's important to get those two fingers down. And if you could take, take and move just one of them without moving the other one, <laughs> then you're, you're, sti- you're still better off if you have two down because now you got two anchors. Yeah, yeah. That's, so, that is true. So anyway, that's, that's one of the things that I would say is one of the most uh, effective things. Other thing is just getting on the tips of your fingers. Really important. With the left hand now, With yeah. your left hand, get on the tips of the fingers so that bone at the end of your finger really has got the string, the best tone you can possibly get. And I show these exercises. I call the first one's Old Faithful, which is just going each finger one fret. That is just do it slow every day. I take uh, 30 minutes or so and do – I have these set of exercises that I do every day that gets the coordination skills going on in my hands. Yeah, and just make sure they're all nice and clear. Clear. That's the real thing. There's a lot of things you can practice, but being in time and with good tone, that's the most important part, no matter what songs you want to play or what type of music. Yeah, the first thing you said was right hand. What What have you done that, that you felt really – Helped your right hand timing and, and solidify what well, you're doing I, I, there. I spend like an hour every day on the metronome being on and working on right hand patterns. So there's uh, 50,625 if you look at four note, four note patterns. So there are 50,625 right hand rolls. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I had figured it out most of them. <laughs> and uh, one day I was talking. I was driving the car. We're coming back from a gig. Me and Vassar. We're talking, and um, I said, "Well, you know, I think I've hit all the rolls that you do." And he said, "Yeah, that's good." And and then I said, "Yeah, there's so there's." And then I started calculating up the math of it. Yeah. And I was like, "No way!" Because it came up to over fifty thousand. I was like, "That can't be." And I did it. So I had this like hour long discussion talking with him about it and thinking about it all the way home because I was driving at the time <laughs> and uh, I thought no it can't be so I went home and I actually started acting, did it on paper working and, out on paper <laughs> yeah so then I sat down and, and I wrote out all 10,625 possible patterns every single one of them that you could possibly do and so, so this is every combination of both right hand fingers and five strings uh-huh yeah uh-huh. all permutations. all the permutations yeah. exactly <laughs> And by and so I wrote them all out, and I set apart going and working on every one of them. So it took me three years to with an extra about an, about an hour extra every. It took me three years to get so I went through the whole pattern. As I went through it, I took a highlighter uh-huh. and I highlighted the ones I liked. As, as I as I found roles that I liked, I thought oh, that you didn't even know before. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 maybe I knew twenty. Yeah, yeah, you know. And so I was like, there's all those that I didn't have a clue about. So I actually spent a lot of time, and those are just the four-note ones. 
Right. Once you once you, you know, go to you eight, eight no or ones and thirteens or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Well, nobody will ever question your dedication. I don't think after after hearing about that. Well, yeah, and That's I spent incredible. a lot of time, but but it was good for me because sitting there and some of it's dumb. You know, some of it would be like, <laughs> but yeah. but. Um, but with the metronome and practicing it for an hour, that's a really good day of, of working new things and stretching out. And then, so that and the single string thing, I've spent a lot of time on single string. And of course, doing the the, the Celtic stuff too, you know, the triplets and stuff in that. That's right. That's good stuff. Uh, right. And, and I play probably 10 or 15 minutes every day without my picks on. So really, and it doesn't alter it because because I have my picks burnt bent so far along that it's very natural as, as where the tip of the fingernail would be if, yeah. they, if my tip my fingernails grow out. So it's very natural. So there's no difference between A and B for me. So it sounds like you still really enjoy practicing. Oh yeah, like yeah. After all these years, you still get a lot of yeah, uh, I spend enjoyment four, out of four to five hours every night. Every every day on working on studies and, and and new things I'm writing up and doing, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. What is something that you're currently working on? Is it is it something that's playable or are these yeah, just yeah. kind of abstract well, ideas? I, I, I'm going to record this uh, next week or so. It's a tune I wrote for Nikki. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'll play a little bit of it for you because it's pretty. It's yeah, I love different. it. Yeah, um, it's called "Sweet for Nikki." A lot of really interesting so, parts to that one. That's good. Just different, you know. And uh, I'm so sure she loves it. Has she, she heard it? She is working on it actually today. She's at home working on her lines that she's written. Okay, for, for the bass. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully we'll get it recorded in the next week or so. It'll be on the, the blue banjo, the, the new CD that's coming out. Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, how do people find your music on the internet if they want to track you down? And we're the Night Travelers. Mm-hmm. And so you can go there and just write and say hi. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, there's a lot of links and lots and lots of videos and stuff out. Um, 
So pretty much everything on my uh, on the the five strings of the banjo is good. Uh, all the most of the CDs ha- are pretty much all out there now. So that's yeah great. I'm gonna have to do some research on find out some old Grateful Dead shows to listen to with some James McKinney. Yeah, I'd like to that's... see some of those too. Some more of them. I, I ran across one. It's been probably six months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. So you're gonna be out performing a little more too. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be. Uh, this year, the rest of this year, we're trying to get. We got two uh, CDs that we're trying to get done. Oh, and uh, so we're not traveling as much this year as ne- next year. We're every weekend we're going to be booked. But you'll be set. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll be traveling a lot. Yeah, two night traveler CDs. Uh huh. Two new, one from Nikki and I. Yeah, yeah. That's very ambitious. Well, well one the, the the blues one is is mine. Yours, okay, but. But Nikki's on every single song, so <laughs> it's, I mean, she's, it's, it's, a, it's similar, all part yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. But nice. I have I have like Steve Dudash is playing fiddle on it, and mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Graybill, who's three or four times national champion on mandolin, and yeah. some really great players are playing. A bunch of friends. And when do you expect that to be by available? the fall? By some by Christmas before Christmas. All right, yeah. Perfect stocking stuffer, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much again for sharing all your stories. I could I could listen to them all oh. day. Like I said, that's great great stuff to hear about. Thanks. It's good to see yeah. you and hang out. Yeah, likewise. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The sound clip you heard was from Charlie Collins and Friends. It was John Hardy. And as you heard James mention, that's available on YouTube if you want to check the rest of that out. He's on several tracks. This episode was sponsored by Jordan Covey and Garth Bender. They are the ones who went to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and chose to be sponsors of an episode. So thank you guys so much. That's It's very much appreciated. Contact the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on social media, do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess that's all for me. I thank you again for listening and hope to see you next time. Cheers.